Welcome to the ACO Show. This is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and I lead adoption and training here at Allidade. For this show, we spoke to Allison Brennan. Allison is the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Association of Accountable Care Organizations, or NACOS. You'll hear our conversation about what her organization does to support the ACO program and what they're working on now to help and maintain its sustainability. Allidade is a member of NACOS and we were really excited to have Allison join us. Welcome to the ACO Show. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director here at Allidade, and we are here today with Allison Brennan. Allison joins us as the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs at NACOS, which is the National Association of Accountable Care Organizations. So uh, welcome, Allison. Thank you. So why don't we start with the basics? What is NACOS? Yes. Well, first of all, I appreciate that you got the acronym correct. Uh, it is NACOS, not NACOS or anything else. <laughs> That was a good first step for us. <laughs> right. So we're the National Association of ACOs, and we were formed in 2012. We're a nonprofit organization focused on fostering the growth of the ACO model. And just a little bit of uh, information about our association. We have more than 330 ACO members, and they collectively cover 6 million beneficiary lives from all across the country. Uh, we do have a significant focus on advocacy. That's one of the key areas that we are dedicated to. And we advocate to Congress and the administration to pass laws and regulations to improve the policies that really govern the ACO model. Excellent. And one of the questions that I'm sure um, are relevant for the folks that listen to this show, many of whom uh, we believe are providers who are interested in value-based care or ACOs specifically. Um, what at NACOS, uh, what do you want providers to know about the organization and what should ACOs know if folks are already in a ACOs? And then as a follow-on, if you were talking to an ACO that was sort of on the fence, why should they join NACOS? Sure. So one thing that's really important to know is that we really are the only national provider association that's solely dedicated to advancing ACOs. And we go really far into the weeds on the ACO models, both in terms of policy and member education. So I already mentioned that a big focus of what we do is related to advocacy. Another key area that we focus on is member education. So we're always working to educate our members about complex federal requirements and details of the ACO model. We also focus on education around clinical best practices and ACO operations. Another key focus for us are data products. So we provide data products to our members as a member benefit. And this is an area we're really looking to expand upon so that's something that can be of great value to ACOs. They're getting certain data from Medicare, 
but we're providing some different data tools to help them as they move forward in the ACO program to improve their performance. Mm -hmm. And as the only advocacy group for accountable care organizations, you know, some of your members are likely hospital-based ACOs, what we would consider high-revenue ACOs versus uh, independent groups of providers, low-revenue ACOs, as they're sometimes called. Is it challenging to try to represent both of those groups since they don't always have the same interests in mind? I think there can be certain challenges related to that, but I think it also makes us stronger as an association. We really look for the common interests across ACOs. One way to divide kind of the ACO community or or look at the ACOs differently is the hospital-based versus physician-led distinction. But there are also a number of other distinctions that we see. So if ACOs are primary care only or if they have more of a multi-specialty focus, if they're in rural versus urban areas, depending on their appetite for risk or their size. So there are a lot of different ways that I think we can separate the ACO community. And we don't look to do that. We look at kind of looking at the collective interests across the ACO model. And I think that's beneficial because we want to strengthen the overall model for all ACOs. And is your, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. And if you had to pick one thing as your your North Star, as we'd say here at Alladaid, uh, for NACOS, um, what would that be? Is it advancing value-based care in general, or is it specific to the, the ACO model? That would be advancing the accountable care opportunities. So we really are focused on ACOs, but as we look towards the future, we see some evolution in the value-based space. So we're really focused on growing our focus on a number of total cost of care models. Our focus really is on population health, and that primarily is focused on ACOs right now. We may be able to broaden that in the future as kind of total cost of care, accountable care opportunities, maybe evolve over time, but that is our main focus. So undoubtedly, your focus as an organization will shift as the landscape shifts for ACOs nationwide. Exactly. I think we see a growing interest from our members in pursuing other value-based arrangements. And we want to make sure that they can do that as long as it's working in conjunction with the ACO model. So we see interest in embedding bundled payments within a total cost of care model. We also see ACOs looking at new models coming out, such as the direct contracting models from CMMI. So that type of evolution, I think, is natural for NACOs because it reflects what we're seeing in the industry. So in your role in government affairs, I assume that includes trying to help the government build better policies to strengthen the ACO program. What are some things you think would be would be good targets that would help help make the program stronger, have better longevity? So there is definitely no shortage of improvements that we could make to the ACO program. Uh, We're always thinking of of new ideas and really trying to reflect the feedback that we get from our members on how to improve the program. We have a number of issues, but some of our top areas that we'd like to see improvement on relate to key program methodologies such as beneficiary assignment, risk adjustment, and benchmarking. And I'll give you an example there. One thing that we've worked closely in partnership with Allidate on is to advocate that ACO beneficiaries be removed from the regional population 
that's used when ACOs are in a benchmark that has a historical component, but also a regional component. So that's one example. We'd also, in terms of risk adjustment, like to see more ability for risk scores to increase over time. Some other areas that are important for us for policy perspective, we're always looking at reducing administrative burdens and really making sure that we have an adequate return on investment in the ACO model. So that relates to having ample shared savings rates and having enough time before ACOs are required to assume a risk. So I think overall we want to ensure that the model is structured in a way that providers find value in participating so that they continue in the program and continue kind of on this broader path to value. Um, so we really need to make sure that the program has enough benefits and we're working to kind of make some of those changes at NACOS and I think working closely at, with a number of ACOs and other provider associations to advocate for those changes. Now, Joe has spent some time on Capitol Hill. I, I have not. So my question may be pretty basic. When you talk about these changes, um, encouraging uh, the shift towards value-based care, what does that actually look like day to day? What does that mean? Does that mean trying to meet with Congress people? You know, how does that actually happen? Sure. So it's definitely a multi-pronged approach. Um, yes, I mean, it definitely means meeting with members of Congress and their staff, although I try to not ever talk in too great detail about benchmarking and risk adjustment methodologies. People's eyes sometimes mm -hmm. start to glaze over, depending on who you're talking to. Um, those nuanced and detailed conversations are better saved for our advocacy directly with CMS. So it depends on what the topic is, but another thing that we do on the Hill is really try to share data and research about the ACO model and do general education about ACOs. There's also a, a strong level of support on the Hill for the shift to APMs. So people need to understand the key role that ACOs play in that. Um, also on a day-to-day -day basis, we're writing letters in response to regulatory issues or proposed regulations. And we're also trying to get information out to sort of uh, shape the hearts and minds uh, in the health policy community around the thinking about ACOs. And that means writing articles, sending tweets, trying to emphasize the important work that ACOs are doing. Allison, what's the most common uh, refrain um, that you find when working with staffers, like say committee staffers? Is it the advanced payment models or APMs highlighting that ACOs are a, a key part of that? Or um, I, I'm curious, like what do you find yourself going back to again and again in these discussions? One thing that's really nice is that the move to value is a bipartisan issue. So I think that's a refrain that we keep going back to is saying, look, we understand that you want to see continued shift from fee-for-service and uncoordinated care to value-based payment models. And ACOs really are a premier APM. So I think that putting it in that context is really important. 
And then we can go from there to say, and here's how you can improve the ACO program. And one other thing I would add to that is also the benefits that we see for Medicare beneficiaries. We're seeing data around better quality for beneficiaries that are part of an ACO. And that's at the same time that we see reductions in cost, while also still allowing beneficiaries to have freedom of choice of provider within Medicare, which is a really important component to the model. Allison, as a follow-on to that, what has been the trend in those interactions that you've had? Uh, have you found that more folks are aware of the ACO program? Are they more or less receptive to it over time? You know, we've, as a context, we've talked to many guests over our uh, many episodes and, and wonderful interviews that we've had the opportunity to do about trends in the space. And you brought up that bipartisan piece, which I think is really key to what we do and what you do and ACOs across the country. But I'm curious, like, how would you describe the, the arc of your interactions with staffers and policymakers? Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that's always challenging is just the general turnover <laughs> on Capitol Hill, which you know every industry deals with, is educating and re-educating. Um, sometimes people aren't aware of what an ACO is, and you know that's our job to make sure that they understand the role that the model plays. I think in terms of what I've seen in the past, maybe year or two, has been a growing acknowledgement of the contributions ACOs are making. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important distinction because a couple of years ago, we didn't have the data that we have now on ACO performance. And it was a lot harder to have a discussion about improving a program when some people still viewed that the jury was, was still out on how ACOs were performing. Now that we have more data and more evidence showing the benefits of ACO involvement in Medicare and savings to the Medicare trust fund, it's easier than to have that discussion to say, ACOs are saving money, they're improving quality. We know that now with this recent research and data. So having that as a basis for understanding lets us then transition more easily into our conversation to say, this is a good program, here's how we need to make it better. Can you speak a little bit more about that research? You know, I know that NACOS has done some of its own work looking at claims data. Um, McWilliams at Harvard is certainly well known in this field. It seems like it would be a simple question. Are ACOs beneficial? Are they improving health? Are they lowering the cost of care? But it, it's quite complicated, as I'm sure you know. You know. What do we compare it to? What's the counterfactual? Is it Medicare Advantage? Is it, um, is it just pre and post joining an ACO? So it hasn't been a simple thing to sort out. What, what, what have you seen that, that you feel like is good evidence that ACOs are beneficial? Yeah, so it certainly is not an easy question to answer. Um, and I think that one of the challenges that we had initially was the fact that the first couple of years of the program, the results were mixed when we were looking at ACO performance relative to CMS benchmarks. And the issue around that is, A, that the performance wasn't as strong as policymakers and ACOs would have liked to have seen. 
But the other issue is that's not really the way we need to be evaluating ACO performance from a program level perspective. Instead, what we need to do is do a more advanced statistical evaluation of what would have happened in the absence of an ACO. So in order to do that, we have to wait and evaluate millions of Medicare claims. So when we look at that claims data and do a difference in difference model, we can see that ACOs are saving money for Medicare. And the good thing is that this is research that NACOs independently had done by a health economics and policy consulting firm called Dobson and Devonzo. And that analysis, which looked at the program through 2020, excuse me, through 2016, showed that there was savings to Medicare of $2.7 billion. And then after shared savings payments were paid to ACOs, there was net savings to Medicare of $665 million. So it's one thing for me to talk about research that NACOS has commissioned. Um, it's another thing to also note that other researchers, such as Michael McWilliams and Michael Chernow at Harvard and MedPAC have done similar evaluations using similar methodologies and come up with similar results. So we're seeing a number of studies that are saying the same thing, which is that ACOs are saving money. And it, those numbers are great. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, both, and I'll take this from both sides, both from the policymakers, but also uh, your members. Have you found those numbers to be impactful for folks? Do they reference those when they're making their decision making, either on the policy side or ACOs um, or folks? looking at the ACO model, let's say, and then joining an organization like yours? I think it's one data point that ACOs might consider along with many others. And I think the important thing is that it sort of validates what I think our members know they're doing. So, you know, they will share what they've been doing and it's not a transformation that happened overnight. It's something that they've been working at, many of them for years. And so I think that it just validates what inherently many of our members already knew that they were doing. And sometimes I think there's frustration from ACOs when they are able to move the needle in terms of savings, but they weren't able to move it enough yeah. so that they actually can earn shared savings. So just helping people understand that across the industry, we're on the right path, I think does make it easier for people to try to stay committed to the ACO model. Allison, we talked a lot on the show uh, about the challenges of being a startup at the stage that Allidade's at. Um, it's, you know, we worked really hard and we've had great success, but it's certainly not an easy process. And I think what I'm constantly amazed by are the generalizable lessons of being a company that's five years old trying to shift a whole industry. And I love like the framing of NACOS as a startup in this space as well with a lot of established players. Um, from your perspective, being part of that startup, um, what's, what are the biggest challenges? Is the, do you see it as more of a question of getting more docs and 
organizations like hospitals to form ACOs, or is it the ACOs themselves sticking with it long enough that they start to see the fruits of all that hard work? So I don't want to take the easy uh, way out on this, but I'm going to say all of the above. <laughs> um, there definitely is a mentality, I think, in the ACO community that people understand these changes need to happen. A lot of the members we talk to sort of say, you know, hey, the train has already left the station. We're not going back to fee-for-service. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges is definitely keeping people committed to the ACO model, given the fact that it's not easy. It's not easy to make the clinical transformations that are required. It's not easy to be patient and have the unknown about whether or not you'll have shared savings. Um, so those are some of the challenges that I think our members face, and they kind of have that mentality of being, you know, a, a startup. Um, I think at NACOS, we definitely feel a lot of pressure um, to try to advocate and make these changes as quickly as possible to make sure that the program continues to evolve to attract new entrants into the ACO model and to keep rewarding those who've already been participating for the long term. So we don't want to see this as a transition from fee-for-service to Medicare Advantage, for example. We want to see a healthy, robust ACO program really become embedded in the fabric of Medicare and be a key part of that. Um, I think personally speaking, working in an organization that has that kind of startup mentality makes me work a little harder and kind of gives you that fire in the belly. You know, we really believe in this and we really are working as hard as we can to try to make sure that it succeeds both in the short term and the long term. Yeah, you know, Josh and I are both uh, former practicing physicians, we're both still physicians, obviously, but we, um, you know, I have to remind myself sometimes that it's a particularly risk averse group, you know, like we talk about risk coding, we talk about taking on two sided risk, and it shows up in all these places. And we've had some providers rightly remind us those that is not the, the kind of language that your average doc loves hearing. So it's it, it's no surprise that, um, you know, getting folks more on board with that something that's not the standard way of doing things that we've done it for, you know, a hundred years or whatever, um, in some cases is, uh, it is, is not the easiest road to hoe for many folks. So coming back to what we talked about earlier about balancing out the competing interests of the different types of ACOs, particularly hospital based versus physician led, how do you thread the needle when a new proposal comes out as recently did from CMS that may uh, be a little bit more preferable to ACOs that don't depend on uh, keeping inpatient beds full or emergency rooms active for their revenue. And, you know, if one set of the people you represent comes to you and says, hey, we, we need to change this, and another group says, actually, we, we like it just fine, um, you know, how does an advocacy group, which may contain competitors, you know, how do you balance that? Well, I think that's a situation a lot of associations find themselves in. Um, so it certainly is not unique to NACOS. And what we do is we evaluate the policy proposals and we work with our board of directors 
and our policy committee and we discuss it internally in order to come up with a position that we think is going to be the most valuable for the model overall. So, for example, with the recent Pathways to Success program changes, we see this distinction where high-revenue ACOs, which are typically your hospital-based ACOs, are required to assume more risk more quickly than physician-led ACOs. And our advocacy has been to not have a distinction between hospital-based and physician-led ACOs in this manner. Uh, we have advocated to even further slow down the pace of moving to risk for all ACOs. Um, I think that what we see as we look at that particular transition is this is a voluntary program, and whether it's a physician-led or a hospital-led ACO, if they're not ready to assume risk, they won't do it. They'll quit the program, and they'll put their care coordinators to either focus on other payer populations or potentially they'll kind of backtrack into fee-for-service. And I don't think that either of those outcomes are good for Medicare. So our advocacy around that particular issue has been to provide a slower ramp up to risk and really allow ACOs to have enough time to develop the skill set and the confidence and to have enough shared savings that they feel ready to take on risk. So as we see distinctions between different types of ACOs, we always do evaluate it based on what's best for the overall program and what's best for Medicare beneficiaries. Allison, as we as we close up here, I'd love to hear, you know, what you see, what's the latest and greatest coming out of NACOS that you want our listeners to be aware of? Well, we're very busy. Um, I think that I had a chance to mention some of the member education that we do, but that's something that we really focus on and a particular interest of mine is making sure that our members have the tools they need to be able to navigate complex federal programs and requirements. Um, essentially, we wanna make their lives easier um, so, for example, rather than trying to digest a thousand-page rule, we provide a 10-page summary for them. Uh, we'll be expecting a number of regulations coming out this summer, and we're also still doing a lot of advocacy on a variety of topics in response to the pathways changes, and also much more broadly in response to other Medicare requirements and macro implementation. So we're really focused on member education and advocacy. And we're also embarking on more research. NACOS uh, in the past couple of years has stood up a separate organization called the Institute for Accountable Care. And they're responsible for a growing amount of ACO research, which we think will really contribute to the overall dialogue about the ACO model. So those are some of the big things that we're focused on right now. Allison, thanks so much for your time. This has been really interesting, and I've learned a lot about the important work that NACOS is doing. Great. Well, thank you so much for having us on. And, um, you know, we are happy to work in concert with Allidate on a lot of things and um, hope to continue that partnership moving forward. Mm -hmm.